Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Your Partner in Success Radio, The Closer's Inner Circle. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today my co-host, renowned sales expert Ben Gay III, is here to discuss his groundbreaking book, The Closer's Part Two. And as always, he shares his invaluable insights into the art of closing sales and basically just success, which is what this podcast is all about. So in The Closer's Part Two, and there is no part one, by the way, I'll get Ben to explain that, but he wrote part one, which was going to be, I think, a standalone book. And then here came part two. So here we are. But Ben dives deep into the world of sales and reveals the secrets to becoming a master closer. And this book is a continuation of the original bestseller that I just mentioned, The Closers. And it offers even more powerful techniques and strategies that can elevate your sales game to new heights. So today we are opening the book to page 105 and the chapter is titled Guarantee It with an exclamation point. And I'm in the South and we had a guy down here called Justin Wilson who had the most awful fake Cajun accent I've ever heard. And he would guarantee it drove me crazy. I couldn't stand to listen to him. So anyway, that's a complete aside, but grab a pen and a paper However you take notes, and let's dive into this enlightening conversation with Ben, who is a living sales legend, and we're going to explore the art of closing sales and uncover the strategies that can transform your sales career. Ben, good morning. It's always good to chat with you. Thank you very much. Good morning to you. Uh, I, I thought I was the only one who figured out Justin's accent was a little odd. I oh, it was horrible. Yeah. That's the guy in the backyard with the blind neighbor's dog that came over and visited. Yep. And on yeah. he was a good cook, I think, but I couldn't listen to And listen, I'm not Cajun, and I wasn't born in the South, although I've been here almost all of my life. Even I knew back in the day that that accent was just not right because I live in Cajun <laughs> country and I hear them every day. In fact, when I first moved here back in 1900 and whatever it was, I remember asking my husband, what language is that? And he said, that's English. I said, nope, nope, that is, no, it's not. <laughs> it was. And it took me a while to get used to it. But Justin Wilson, that was a garbage accent, but you know, people liked it. I didn't so anyway, I suspect a Yankee producer encouraged him to turn it up. I guess. And, so. uh, you know, here's what they want. <laughs> you know, uh, I couldn't, I just, I could read him. I couldn't, you know, I could read his work and read his, his cookbooks and things like that. But to listen to him, I would just flinch. <laughs> it's like, no, thank you. So anyway, let's talk about. I don't even know where that came from. I hadn't thought of that name in forever, but (laughs) it's it's interesting the things that pop up into your head and you just say them out loud. I I need to get over that. So let's talk about the closers. And as I introduce you again, as I always do, you are a living sales legend. You were mentored by the great Dr. Napoleon Hill, and you have some tremendous stories that you know are partly about sales part well they're all about sales because that's what you've done all of your life but let's talk about i guarantee I guarantee it i can't even fake that thing 
Let's talk about <laughs> guaranteeing what you're saying to people when you're when you're having a sales conversation. Benny, before we get started, is there anything you wanted to kind of share before we get rocking and rolling over here? No, I'm good to go. I've been looking forward to this. I was thinking uh, in the in the chapter you were referring to, guarantee it starting on page 105 in the closers part two how many things I learned while working at Macy's. It was called Davison's back then, but Macy's Atlanta. How many things I learned that I learned them, but I didn't understand them. I didn't understand their importance. Uh, Little things like we were taught, uh, and I learned what I need to know about selling. I didn't realize it, but I learned most of it in the first two days of training at Macy's because selling, if you're selling the quality product that's competitively priced uh, and uh, you're talking to qualified people is really pretty simple. You just guide them through the features and benefits and what's in it for them. But they also taught us to a couple of simple things, whatever the item was they asked for, if possible, you show them three of those. It might be three colors of the exact same thing or one product and two similar products that did the same thing. But you always try to put three in front of them. And uh, years later, I figured that that was called a multiple choice close. They didn't have names. They just said, put three out or you're fired. <laughs> so I, I understood the concept. And then whichever one they picked, you were supposed to have two or three or more items that went with it to keep it simple. If you were selling a Teflon pan, we sold the first ones of those. Then you immediately pulled out from under the counter the rubberized spatula that wouldn't scratch the Teflon. And then the lid that didn't come with the pan automatically and so on. So you had your tie-in closes. But the, the thing that we, that chapter is about is there was a store in town called Riches. I think they're totally gone now, but they were the dominant department store in the, in the in much of the southeast, and certainly in Atlanta, they were the bane of my existence because they were right down Peachtree Street. We were all selling basically the same products. They didn't have anything unique. We didn't have anything all that unique. And, uh, uh, and and at roughly the same prices, unless we were running a promo or they were. So it came down to convenience and habit. Uh, there were people in the South who had never been in a, a Davison slash Macy's because they grew up going to Riches. It was just that simple. And there were people who had moved down from the North who, when they found out Davison's was owned by Macy's, that's where they wanted to shop. But the, the basis of the guarantee part was Riches was famous for their guarantee. Same guarantee we had, <laughs> but we apparently didn't promote it properly uh, or make such a big deal out of it. Their guarantee was if you bought it from Riches, and they prefer you to have a receipt, but that wasn't required. If you, if you, saw, if you said you bought it from Riches, it was guaranteed. To the point that my mother, for instance, uh, who w- lived in Atlanta, obviously, 
uh, I would say, Mom, I, I don't see in the store. You said you were looking for whatever. You know, why didn't you come see me? Oh, well, I got it at Rich's. I said, I've got the same thing here in the department, and I can give you a 20% employee discount. I know, but if I have to return it uh, for any reason, I just want to not have to worry about that. And uh, I would say, would it surprise you to know we have exactly the same guarantee Macy's does? Oh, I'm sure you do, darling. Uh, <laughs> and when mom says, darling, you go home. You're, it's done. It's over. It's kind of like I'm, I'm, you know, the mama version of bless your heart. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, they were also famous. They had a window on Peachtree Street. Uh, under their famous bridge, they had a huge store on both sides of the street and a bridge, glass bridge that went over the street. So you didn't have to go outside to swap stores. Uh, they had a window under there that was their return window where they put unusual things that they had taken back. Well, among the things I remember was some uh, ladies' boots that were the lace-up, you know, the, they became modish years later, but back then it was just how they built a ladies' oh, boot. Oh, yeah. We with, wear those now. The, they're booties. Yeah. And they're expensive. And, uh, the, uh, this pair in particular, and there were others around in there, was bought roughly the end of the Civil War. <laughs> and somebody somebody died and the relative brought the boots back to Macy's. They'd never been worn, although even that really wasn't a, a prerequisite. Uh, I'm sure they would prefer to have new ones, but uh, if you said you got it at Rich's, they'd give you your money back. So there sat that pair of boots that was when I was working there, almost 100 years old, that they had given the lady her full money back. They had to look up and see what somebody probably paid for it and uh, gave her the money back. The one that galled me was we had electrical appliances that were private label for Macy's. Uh, you see private label all over the, the world now and food or whatever, but our appliances bore the, I think it was AMC, I'm quoting from memory, but bore the AMC label, let's say. And in the window sat an AMC steam iron, obviously bought from Macy's. But they took it back because the customer said they got it at Rich's. Didn't argue with them. Gave them, you know, how much do you think you paid as the story goes? <laughs> Whatever it was, here's your money back. And and whoever gave them the money back, I'm sure, walked it right down to the window and stuck it in the display. So they were famous for this unconditional money back guarantee. It was exactly what we had. Uh, and uh, uh, as I said, mother uh, could not, she came into Davison's occasionally, Macy's, uh, just to be polite or to have, we had a good tea room to have lunch with one of her lady friends. But buying serious stuff there never crossed her mind. Waived the employee discount, wanted the security and the peace of mind of knowing she could give the stuff back if necessary. I'm not sure if you ever returned anything, but they hammered on it and hammered on it and hammered on it. It was so effective. So when I got into business on my own and had some control over it, I immediately instituted guarantees in almost everything we did. 
because I knew how effective the concept was. Uh, and then a little twist on that, I discovered rather quickly, we'll use the closers, for example. The closers had a 30-day uh, unconditional guarantee. And I noticed that we would get a few, we didn't get many returns ever. I, I don't think we've gotten 20 in the 40 years the closers part one has been out. But we had a few, and even that surprised me since we started m mentioning the guarantee, and it was 30 days. So I looked at the charts, and the books came back on like the 29th day. Hmm. You know, they were up against the 30-day deadline. So the few returns we got were influenced by the 30-day guarantee. So I changed it to an unconditional, no questions asked, lifetime money back guarantee and we haven't had a return since part of that is uh, just common sense tells me and a little amateur psychology the 30-day thing is off they don't have that if i don't get it back this week uh, i'll lose my money and i've never read the book anyway i was going to read it someday and and so on but when it went to lifetime it stopped the pressure had gone away and uh, well, that so we've had a uh, but you're also indicating without any equivocation at all that you believe in your product and you stand by it absolutely that's the underlying subconscious uh, uh guarantee uh, and others have used it very effectively in the book i talk about lee iacocca when he took over chrysler which was failing uh, he then gave immediately a 50,000-mile five-year guarantee, which was unheard of in the automobile business. And that was among the major factors, two or three factors, he said, that saved Chrysler. It was already in bankruptcy, but they came back from that. It saved Chrysler from just being a fond memory, the guarantee. And he knew he had a fine product. It just hadn't been marketed properly. Um, so the, the guarantee thing has been crucial in my life and the lifetime money back guarantee. The only person that bothers now is my accountants because they say, well, that's an outstanding liability. And you've sold, uh, closest part one, we sold 10 and a half million copies when we quit counting uh, 25 years ago, 25, 26 years ago. So. Uh, so what? So we got an outstanding liability. Nobody's using it. I don't care. Well, if you ever sell the company, you're going to have to tell them that there are ten and a half million books out there that might be sent back. The only uh, proviso it's not in the guarantee, but if if we ever had a conversation from someone who wanted to return a book, I repeat, it just doesn't happen. Uh, we would say send proof of purchase with it. Because I remember one of the books, uh, one, two, three books we've ever gotten back since the guarantee went in, uh, was obviously old and beaten up. And it had that look like maybe it had come from a garage sale. So I, I forget the exact conversation, but I do recall talking to the gentleman and saying, uh, where did you get the book? And he was honest. He said, I got it at a garage sale. What'd you pay for it? Uh, 50 cents. I said, fantastic. I'll mail you two quarters. Where do you want them sent? 
question. Did he really <laughs> think that you were going to reimburse him for a 50 cent book at full price? Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing to me. It, it really what kind of and... mental gymnastics do you have to put yourself through to come up with, hey, that'll work? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. And B, if asked if that's what you're doing, what kind of mental gym, gymnastics do you have to do to say, yeah, I am. That's what I'm up to. Right. <laughs> now, there are others who built their business on guarantees, Nordstrom's. Uh, took over. They started by taking over a store that had been a uh, a tire store, and oh, they're famous. That. Yeah. And you hear me talk yeah. about Nordstroms all the time because you know I, as you know, I'm a highly committed introvert, and I very rarely get out among people because three people is just too peopley for me. But (laughs) I'm not shy and I don't have any filters, but I love my shoes. And I'll tell anybody who asks, it looks like Nordstrom's threw up in my closet. It really does. (laughs) I like Nordstrom's. (laughs) I was reading a thing in uh, a magazine that's in my bathroom, one of my reading piles this morning at some I don't know who it is. I'm not a big football fan, but he's some big star tight end with Kansas City. And uh, he's making a lot of money. And uh, he mentioned that in his closet, he has 400, he thinks, 400 pairs of various versions of tennis shoes. And I thought, you know, that that's not a collection fetish. That's a mental illness. You know, okay, pairs of tennis shoes. I have sure one. Most of those were gifted to him, but I won't tell you how many stilettos I have then because I don't want you to go, Denise. It's been nice knowing <laughs> you. It really has. <laughs> well, your reputation is the stiletto part, so I, I would forgive that. But hundreds of pairs of tennis shoes, I don't get. I just don't get it. I probably had. 15 pairs of tennis shoes in my life, one of which I, I have on now, <laughs> and maybe one one pair in the closet, and the rest of them have gone to their just reward. But anyway, oh, and back to Nordstrom's and the tire. They they were it wasn't that Nordstrom's was a tire store. It was they started in a building that had been a tire store. So somebody walks up to their counter one day with a tire and said, I'd like to return this. And the, the, the lady, I assume, said, oh, sir, we don't sell tires. I bought it in this building. <laughs> Went back and talked to somebody and came back and said, do you remember how much you paid? And let's say oh. twenty four ninety five, And they gave him back the twenty four ninety five. And that story has probably made them millions of dollars. And you could add up everything Riches ever took back. Oh, and the other thing I've seen uh, back in those days, I saw figures, the average person who returned something to riches before they left spent something like two and a half or three times that amount of money again in riches before they left the store. It's one of the things I advocate to some of my uh, automobile uh, dealer clients is if the factory doesn't have a recall notice out on something that you sell, create your own. We have noticed that uh, so-and-so is having a higher uh, failure rate than we like, so bring your car in and let's make sure that you're not covered. The point is, get them in the store. Get them in the dealership. 
you know, we, we want to take a look at your windshield wipers when you know there's nothing wrong with the windshield wipers, but it gets them in the store. And while the car is in the service department, where are they? Out wandering around in the new car showroom or out on the lot looking at new and used cars. Well, there's an advantage to a guarantee, especially if you have a physical place they have to come to or that they tend to come to to return it. But the key is, Make it as all-inclusive as you can, unconditional, no questions asked, lifetime money guarantee, money-back guarantee is what we offer, and it's been a gold mine for us. It just know, cut returns. Yeah, I, I can well imagine. And every time you mention Macy's, look, it's hot. It's, I mean, we're heading for August. We're only mid-July here, as I've told you before. In southwest Louisiana, we have two seasons, hot and hotter in hell, and we're right between them, yep. <laughs> in the middle of hurricane season. So where does my brain go to? Christmas. And every time you mention Macy's, I instantly think of that that scene where the Santa was saying, well, we don't have it, but, you know, go down the street, Miracle on 34th Street. That really yeah. stuck with me, and I think in some ways that's what you're alluding to here. You know, yeah. do what's best for your customers. You're, the, you're there to service the customers. And mm-hmm. if you do it properly, and the customer, I was always taught at Macy's, uh, here's what we say on the floor. The customer is always right. Here's what we say in the training room. The customer is not always right, but we're going to treat them as if they are. And, and they uh, also would, we had store detectives and you could get arrested in those days for stealing things, but it had to be crystal clear what was going on. And the store detective having been called had to witness it because their attitude was maybe four or 5% of the people under certain circumstances will take something they hadn't paid for. But rather than risk uh, offending the the, uh, 95% who don't, leave the others alone. Call the store detective and go back to work. Calling the store detective didn't get anybody arrested. It meant the store detective showed up and they began shadowing the person. And only if they saw them take something did anything ever happen. So it was always take care of the customer, take care of the customer. We have specialists for thieves. We have specialist for return. I never took anything back that, that I knew came from riches, but I would have if offered. I just, I guess the people wanted to return something they bought at Macy's. Riches went to riches because they knew they weren't going to get any hassle there at all. But, but get known for that, you know, get yeah, known yeah. for your easy to deal with, your, the products and services you offer are guaranteed and if you get known for that, the product of it, it's like when I'm selling. I sell Ben Gay first. You can trust me. Uh, here's how I operate fairly, squarely, decently, by the rules. I'll be straight with you. You be straight with me. I get permission up front to have that relationship. And therefore, they're more likely to come back to me anyway. This is true. And, you know, I'm. You mentioned riches, and I love that chapter in the book. I read it a couple of times and just kind of chuckled. But they're not there anymore, and it seems like they had immense loyalty. So what's the story? What happened with them? I really don't know other than most, you know, Sears is all but gone. Macy's is all but gone. 
uh, I guess we're through the era uh, of uh, big department stores. Gigi uh, was in the Nordstrom's the other day. Anna Macy's, one of the and she didn't take me. She should have taken her camera and showed me the shoes. I'm gonna have a chat. <laughs> the uh, uh, she was there, and she said it was really interesting. She said with the older salespeople, mainly sales ladies with a beautifully coiffed hair, you know, and put together well. She said with them, the old uh, old department store shopping was still there. Uh, but uh, even Nordstrom's, famous for that, was staffed by young girls chewing uh, gum. Yeah. And I'd like a pair, I'd like to see a pair of shoes. We'll look over there on aisle 13. <laughs> that isn't the way that business used to be. If I'm supposed to just look over on aisle 13 and take my chances, I'll go to Amazon. Well, that's I don't, exactly I don't, right. Or the the cheap. I don't know what cheap shoes are, but I've I've heard of them. But you know, those stores are everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now, don't wear them. They hurt your feet. Good shoes don't hurt your feet if they're they're properly fitted. And talking if about tennis shoes, fitted, yeah. yeah, I can't wear them. I have high arches, and tennis shoes just kill me. So I don't own any. Haven't for, gosh, since I was in grade school. I don't think I don't like them. Plus, they make your feet sweat. Stilettos yeah. don't do that, <laughs> so I'm going to stick with my stilettos. <laughs> but so, so Ben, while I've got you, and we're talking about guarantees because it is important. Let's move that into today because now, I mean, you know, I don't like the news. I can't watch it; it makes my stomach hurt, and then I bite the cat's tail. It's just not a good thing. But <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh my god, these people are crazy now. It's pretty awful, and you just mentioned it. You know, the girl popping her gum, and can you hear my dog? She's out there hiccuping. Um, no, there's no real customer service, or if there is, I'm darned if I'm spotting it. Of course, I have to say, I'm very rarely in a building. I do most of my stuff online, but even then, I expect professionalism. Yes. Yeah. And customers do, whether they verbalize it or not, they do. And here's a little something I haven't thought of in a long time, uh, except I do it all the time. Uh, I train salespeople how to treat me. In other words, on the rare occasion, I'm not a, uh, I'm one of those guys in the shopping center you see on the bench in front of the store with three other guys that have been parked there by their wives uh, <laughs> wandering around. Are you all holding you know, purses? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I've bags seen from the previous <laughs> yeah. Store. yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guys. Uh, but if I have to have a face-to-face encounter with a salesperson and I get the gum popping and so on, I, I say, "Excuse me, I forgot to explain our roles." And I'm kidding and winking and all, but I'm what's called a paying customer. You're what's called an employee who is hired to serve me. So let's get back to those roles. I don't want to be sent to aisle 13 on my own. I want to. And once you get known for that on a few places that we actually, you know, return to on a semi-regular basis, uh, we get part of our groceries at Walmart because they have some things that only Walmart carries. Uh, the uh, It's sort of expected and accepted at Walmart where they point to aisle 13. 
but I'm well enough known in there where they're at least every couple of weeks uh, where if I ask for something, they say, follow me. They don't want to talk. It's easier to take me to the item and tell me about it if they know than it is to get in an argument with me about why I'm not going to go wandering around their store by myself. And uh, so you train them. It's like in life, you should train people how to treat you. And that includes people trying to sell you something. And this is true. And, you know, what what you just described, that happens to me all the time, whether I'm in Home Depot, which I have to go there today to pick up my brand new lawnmower. I killed my other one. But, you know, it deserved it. But (laughs) (laughs) it was a little tiny cordless mower. And, you know, I mow here. We have to mow at least twice a week. It's crazy. You can hear the grass yeah. out there. Yeah. So my yard guys do it. And then I go touch it back up before they come again. So it's just, plus I need the exercise. But when I go to Home Depot or I go to Walmart, they're, they're not going to, I don't know if it's just me or if, how I present, but they're just, they're going to help me. They're always very, very helpful. And let's, let's take that a step further. You know, I had to, my, I ordered my lawnmower at Home Depot on July 3rd. It was supposed to be here on the 5th. No lawnmower. So I had to put, cobble together the one that I had half killed and try to mow with that one. And, you know, I just kept waiting, waiting. Didn't really think much about it till it came time to mow again. I went, where is my mower? Well, it was stuck in Georgia. <laughs> I mean, stuck. <laughs> it had been there at since the, July 4th. At the 4th. Atlanta airport. Yeah. Close. It wasn't budging. It got there on July 4th and there it sat. So I got, you know, called Home Depot and I got a hold of a very nice girl. And we're talking customer service, but we're also talking about customer experience. She didn't Mm -hmm. sell it to me, but she was going to make darn sure that I got my lawnmower. And bless her heart, her name was Tabitha. And I'm actually writing a, a blog post about her, but she went out of her way. And you know why? Because I treated her the way I would want to be treated. I wasn't argumentative. I wasn't cranky. I wasn't sighing deeply and saying, well, I just need that darn lawnmower. I mean, I do need it, but it wasn't her fault. At any point, it was her fault. We had a lovely conversation. She actually put me on hold, called, um, I think it was not UPS, but anyway, whoever was delivering it it's now at home depot i need to go pick it up today she called them and said hey can this lady have her lawnmower and they said sure <laughs> so that she paid for yeah <laughs> i mean you know one of the options was we could you know cancel it and start over and i said oh i'd like to avoid that she, she said hang on we chatted and at the end of it i asked her i said listen i know you do this all day long and you've been really sweet and i've really enjoyed talking with you but how many instances i have to ask during the day are people just flat out ugly to you she said more than i'd like to admit to and the thing is ben you know this and i know this if you're nasty with somebody you just went straight to the bottom of their shoe they are not going to help you or if they do it they're going to be very grudging about it so what the heck just be decent to people whatever side of the sales process you're on we have a, another grocery store here in town, uh, uh, Smart and Final or something like that. Save Mart, I think. Anyway, it's a real nice old store. 
and on the receipt they give you they ask you if you'd be willing to take a survey and so i did and on the form was the name the first name of the lady who took care of us at the checkout counter and she was funny kind uh had me laughing out loud and so on so i really wrote something nice for her and uh, a few days later we're in there and uh, she didn't mention it and i said you're not talking about the love letter i wrote you in the review so i haven't seen it yet and i said is the manager here and he said, yes and i said please get him or her up here this guy came up and i said i wrote uh, Shelly a wonderful review and she doesn't even know about it and you had it within seconds of me hitting enter what's up he said oh yeah I remember that and I said well Why you remember she it know doesn't about mean it? anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> so would you go get it please he went back found it brought it out showed it to her she teared up yeah. and then I found out later got posted in the employee break room uh, and, uh, and praise not only her, but the whole team. I said, I can get groceries lots of places. We come here frequently because of the treatment we get. It's not because the other places don't have cucumbers uh, and uh, so on. So anyway, once that was done and it was posted, and I've written a couple other ones uh, for her and her team, when I walk in that store, and that's the whole point of this story, when I walk in that store, the, what you hand out comes back tenfold. Ben Gay, how are you? And there's a little assistant manager there who's got a great sense of humor. If he's near the microphone, he picks it up and goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ben Gay third is in the store. Uh, <laughs> in the you know, building. Yeah, and it didn't take me five minutes to tell the lady how nice she was. And it's not only come back tenfold. Oh, and then the other day, Gigi was in there and the lady did something on the computer and gave her probably 10 coupons worth $50, I'm guessing, uh, of things Gigi was entitled to if she'd ask or bought the right item or whatever. But the cashier isn't uh, designated to voluntarily cough up this stuff. She came back. I said, my God, we're not going to be able to shop anywhere else. So we go through all these coupons. She said, well, it's, she said it was her way of thanking you for that review. Right. So and you so things start like your, that, your gear. It's not difficult to be nice, to be decent, to be kind. And the rewards are astonishing. It, how do yep. we forget this? I don't know, but I, I hear all the time from people, and it's one of those old things I, I lay in wait for because I love to explain it to them. I give without expecting anything in return. And I go, well, you must not understand the law of the universe. What? What you hand out comes back tenfold, twentyfold, yea, a hundredfold, it is written. So I give. I'm a nice guy. Uh, I, I would tend to give anyway, but I give with a malicious intent. When I wrote the letter to or got got wordy in the survey for Shelley at uh, Save Mark, I consciously knew it would come back. Mm -hmm. And after the manager was informed to read it to her and it got posted and all, it's come back to the point it's embarrassing 
you know, I almost want to put a bag over my head when we go in there. I love to be the center of attention, but I don't need it over a microphone in a grocery store. Uh, you know, people come up, who are you? <laughs> I'm what's called a customer <laughs> who, who knows how to treat the employees, the right. team members properly uh, and and for selfish reasons. You were talking about you don't uh, they can they can do funny things to you if they don't like you. Here's a little tip for our listeners: don't ever criticize a waiter or the kitchen or whatever, and then oh let God, the food no. out of your sight. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, we'll, yeah, we'll swap it out. No, no, I'm not happy with it, but I will eat it since, since it arrived without you knowing I was unhappy. Uh, take it out of my sight and spit in it? No, I don't think so. And here's the thing. Uh, when you when you do something nice like that, yes, you do expect at least subconsciously, like, okay, this is nice. You know, it's you are paying it forward. Something good will happen, whether it's today, tomorrow, or, you know, as somebody completely unrelated. But, you know, you're starting, you're on that path of not being an ass. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, if you do go into, and, and I've seen people just in the middle of a grocery store or somewhere in public, and you just want to say, sit down, shut up, because <laughs> you are, which I have done, by the way. I try not to, but sometimes it's like, lady, give it a rest, but you have no idea what kind of ripple effect that is, because now people don't like you. You've ruined the mood around you they are going to remember you and you're never going to be treated well unless or until you go in there hat in hand and say i am so sorry i'm premenopausal or my husband died or you know my car won't start i'm sorry i did not mean to be that way and i promise you i won't do it again that would go a long way but a lot of people unfortunately just think they can say or do whatever the heck they want to do, and it will not have a ripple effect. I'm going to tell you right now, you're wrong. Yep. There's a restaurant here in town, Mel's of American Graffiti. Uh, and the, uh, the original Mel's was in San Francisco. <clears throat> so I was thrilled when they opened up for Mel's here about 25, 30 years ago. And we went in and the food was okay. Mel's was never a gourmet place to start with. It was just, you know, cute and car hops and good looking ladies and young people hanging out and, and so on. But I was really happy when they came. I said, Gigi, you're going to love this. Cause she'd never been to the original one. And uh, we got a snarky girl who was not as pretty as she thought she was smacking gum and the food was slow. And when I asked for something extra, she act, acted like I had just asked her to do something obscene, you know, side carried on. So we go in there not too long ago because Gigi has a friend who loves Mel's and almost insisted on it. So I said, all right, I'll go. Manager comes over and said, hi, how are you? Is this your first time here? I said, no, I was here on your opening day or week. Uh, uh, back 25, 30 years ago. He said, well, I haven't seen you in here. I said, well, let me tell you why. And I told him the story about the smart young girl. And I said, she's probably a grandmother by now. But I, but let's get it. And I put out my calculator. I said, let's figure out 
casual as this place is if Gigi and I had spent $50 a week here for the past, you know, 52, 52 times that times 30, let's say. And I forget what the math was, but the gist of it was, I said, that encounter, you didn't know it because it didn't come off your bottom line. It never went on your bottom line. That encounter with that young lady has cost you about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. So I, I hope this encounter goes better. He said, "Oh my God, they talk about things like that in training, but I've never met anybody who would explain it to me." I said, "Yeah, we just uh, you got." Look, I said, "Look around, cross the street, point out the window. There's a restaurant, equal or better than yours. On the other side, Buttercup Pantry, better than yours. Uh, similar pricing with better parking." And then up Main Street, probably 10 more restaurants. I said, we got lots of choices. And we have food, beer, and wine at home. We come out only for the socialization and good service. And you didn't offer either. So I just went away for 25 years, but I'm glad to be back. He said, oh, please. (laughs) Let me make it. And they gave us a coupon for something sweet, chocolate sundae or whatever. He was horrified because so for those of you who are listening, who run sales organizations, this isn't a chat to you. It is, but it's not a chat to you. Make it a multiplier in your life. Make sure you're 20, 25, 125, 10,000. At one time I had a million salespeople working for us in 20 different countries and five different companies, but a million people. And I, as best I could, I tried to influence and put on script every single one of them, because any one of them could drastically affect our business to the negative. And under extreme cases, and I've seen it happen, any one of them can bring your business to the ground. This is true. And we're not just talking not, about sales here today for the audience. If you, We're not just kind of reminiscing about Nordstrom's, although Gigi owes me some pictures. But <laughs> <laughs> next time she goes to Nordstrom, I'm going to tell her where she needs to go and <laughs> tell me what's there. But the thing is, we're also talking about leadership, sales, leadership. They go together. And if you're a poor leader or if you're unaware of what your team is doing, whether they're the guy picking up the you know, the Cheetos that the little kid threw on the floor and they didn't get picked up. You've got to be aware of what's going on, how people are responding to you. If they're coming back, if they're not coming back, what the customer experience is, whether you are like me and everything you do is virtual. I still have customers. I have clients and they need and expect the best possible customer care that I can deliver. And if I don't, they'll go away. And then I'll be calling you to pay my mortgage. Like, Ben, help me. (laughs) I don't know why my business went bankrupt. I just don't know. The uh, most businesses or many businesses run two effective ads in in their time on the planet. One is the grand opening ad and the other one is the going out of business ad. Yep, yep, right. And it's the things that happen in between. And I think so many people don't understand that whatever part of the sales system you are part of, you are part of the system and you need to do a good job of doing your job. And if you don't understand your job or it hasn't been explained to you, 
get help, go to your manager, go tell people what they should do. Ben. When, when people understand or they recognize that, you know, that customer didn't like me or I keep getting written up, what do you tell them to go do? Uh, I would uh, go back to basics, pretend like it was their first day there and run through the thing. We have a... Uh, we another business we don't go to anymore because of an event I won't bore you with, but uh, I know the guy and we used to eat there on a regular basis. He said to his staff the other day, he said, you know, we have a lot of, I heard through the grapevine, we have a lot of people only come in once and so on. And we have great pizza. What's the problem? And some person who works for him was brave enough to say, it's you. His first name is Ben also. But it's you, Ben. And he says, what? You're rude to people. You're dismissive. You don't greet our regular customers like the important people they are. Uh, it's, and it went on and on and on about all. But it, I heard, again, through the grapevine, he was stunned. He said, it's me. I'm capable of running this place out of business. And I said, you're doing it. You know, he got the $15,000 pizza oven shipped in from Italy, had to take a wall out of the building to get it into the kitchen. He got great pizza, centrally located. If anybody, he's got the best spot in the little town of Placerville. Anybody in town who runs a restaurant would swap places with him in a minute. And a dead center in the middle of town and all the little touristy things people like to do. He's got everything going for him. But him, he doesn't understand customer relations. Was his employee turnover horrendous? I would suspect. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would have to be. Yeah. Uh, one of the top Honda salespeople in in Northern California, at least, used to be his one of his waitresses. And I just loved her. She had that crazy twinkle in her eye like she was up to something like a Saturday Night Live character and uh, great personality, quick service and so on. So one night we're having dinner. I said, you are so good at what you do. Let me ask you something. Why are you here? There was not a lot of jobs. I don't have a college education and, you know, so on. So I said, I can get you employed by sundown tomorrow. If you're willing to sell, I'll give you some free books and help you along. And she said, well, I'd love that. She went to work for our local Honda dealership and then has moved to a bigger one in the somewhat area uh, and uh, <clears throat> was, if not the top, one of the top salespeople in this region within six months. Uh, so, and what was holding her back was him. He not only had beaten her down, he'd beaten down her confidence. She didn't think she could do anything else. By the way, for those salespeople, sales managers listening, when you're looking for good salespeople, restaurants are great places to go. Uh, in Tiburon, California, there was a place, I think it's still there, called The Dock, and their maitre d' was a guy named Carlos Fong, movie star, handsome, mixed between uh, Mexican, I'm guessing, and Asian. And we, I, we would order at the table flaming shish kebabs, not that I particularly like them, it's sort of a nuisance, just to see the show. He would burst through the doors from the kitchen like a bullfighter with three or four in his hands and swoop around and all. And one day I said to him, Carlos, what do you make here? And he told me, I forget what the figure, I, I said, what if I triple that for you? He said, who do I have to kill? 
I said, you have to sell, you have to sell cosmetics. And, uh, oh, he said, with your company? I said, yeah. And he says, okay, tell me what I have to do. I said, well, one, you go into training. We'll put you on the payroll and you go into training and then do everything I ask you to do and take every class and every course. In about a year, he was president of our Mexican operation. And the reason I did it was personality, customer care, et cetera. The reason I did it was a little girl who uh, is, uh, she'd probably scream if you heard me call her a little girl, but at 80, everybody's a little girl to me. Uh, the reason she went to Honda and did so well was she had it. And the restaurant business will train you how to have it quickly because you're dealing with different personalities every four or five minutes all day long. And you either bomb out of that business or you get good. And if you get good, it is time to move into something that will really pay you. Well, and I hadn't even thought about restaurants, but you're right, because people have to be on the ball. They have to be paying attention. I mean, they really do have to be paying attention to their tables, to their customers, and then go to the next customer who's going to be a completely different ball game. So you have to be switching all the time, but, you know, yep. keeping your customer service skills intact and learning something. That's a great idea. I'll tell you, there's a, a restaurant here and it's still here in, in Lafayette. And they moved over here recently to my part of the, the state. I'm 30 miles away. It's no big deal, but I hadn't been in there forever to their original one because my favorite bartender I'm not I don't drink but he was fantastic I always ate in the bar he knew exactly who I was when my birthday was he's probably still the only living person outside of my best friend that knows what it is and (laughs) Miss Denise he knew what I wanted he knew that I liked alligator boule he knew that I liked raw oysters all the things that everybody's listening going oh my god she's crazy that's delicious food when he quit there and opened his own business which was strictly a bar I never saw him again because I don't drink and mm-hmm. I'm still sad about that because he had the best personality that he didn't forget a darn thing about his customers ever. When, uh, and that is so, like I said earlier, we have food at home. Right. <laughs> we, we don't have to be here. We're here for reasons other than food. Uh, and it's the, the service. And so there's a restaurant in Tiburon called the Caprice. It's still there, but everybody I knew is dead, retired, and so on. I've been there in years. But it's the only restaurant in Marin County with a view, unobstructed view of the Golden Gate Bridge. You'd think there'd be dozens. There's one. Uh, It's right on the water. And uh, I took a dear friend of mine there, one of my early mentors, Merle Fraser, took him there one night. We walk in, Roger, the maitre d', who spoke so – he was French, and he spoke so little French, I always made him – translate the menu because it was funny to hear him do it in French and then do it in English and you couldn't tell them apart. You had to read the menu. Uh, but he he was a tall guy, six four, six five. He came over and walked in, picked me up, spun me around, saw I was with somebody he didn't know. He said, You're a regular table, sir. I didn't have a regular table. I like to be near the window right on the water so I could see, but I didn't care which one. I said, Yes curious to know what my regular table was <laughs> but and and then he he comes over 
and he said, I would, I will read the wine list for your guests. I think by then he knew his name. I know what you want, sir. Chateau Neuf de Pop. And I said, thank you very much. And then he brought, uh, brought me an appetizer, steak to char, which I love. At least I love theirs. And, uh, uh, everything went like that. And then when we left, he said, you guys didn't go down to the bar. They had a bar beneath the main dining room, which was all brick and all. And right again, had portholes for windows because you were, they needed portholes in the bar. You were likely to get a wave right in the side of the building. Uh, he said, I, I'd love to show your, your guests that and took us down there and so on. So we, we come out, we've been there three hours probably. As we're walking to the car, I said to Merle, Merle, was that the best food you ever had? And he said, yeah, it was extremely good. But the reason you think that's the best restaurant in the world is the way they treat you. Exactly and right. I thought, yeah, I've had good food. I got food poison at the, at the uh, Savoy in London. So some of the best places down there killed me. Uh, but but he really nailed it That's on the head. That's not funny, but he sorry. Said, <laughs> it's just the way you said <laughs> yeah. it. Don't, if you ever go to London go to, and go to the Savoy, do not order the kippers. I may have gotten a bad batch, but don't order the kippers. I almost died. You get that to that point where you don't care if you die or not. <laughs> you know, you're curled up on the bathroom floor. But I did discover something there. I'm not getting off topic as we normally do. It was the first time I had ever encountered a bidet. I was uh, uh, sick out of both ends. And uh, so I'm sitting on the toilet wishing I could die and about to toss my cookies again. And I look over and what, uh, what, what, through magic, there was a second toilet beside me. So I leaned my face over that and threw up in it, and then stepped on the pedal, and then I discovered what a bidet was. Uh, because <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it was, it For was those easy of to us, find out. If you don't had all that stuff go, in go my look hair it up. on my face. <laughs> go to Amazon and watch a video. <laughs> okay, now that was... is stuck in my head. So I'm going to be laughing all day long. <laughs> So anyway, it's all customer service. I've had bad meals, bad experiences, didn't like the product, et cetera. But if the people I dealt with were nice and funny and I was able to break through their crusty little shells sometimes, it, that's what it is. It's the people. Sell a quality product. It's competitively priced. Spend your day talking to qualified people. Absolutely rock solid. Guarantee it. Uh, one of my favorite things is this, what's the difference between this and this because they're similar. I said, with this, you get me. I will guarantee when you have a problem, you don't call the complaint department. Here's my business card. Here's my private cell phone number written on the back. You don't go through all the, the departments and press one if you want it in English and so on. Call me and I'll take care of it. That's the personal guarantee. You know, I must have known that instinctively 20 years or maybe 21 years now when I started my business. And I always, 100% of the time, then and now, am the face of my business. I have a team. Mm -hmm. I work with me. You're never going to speak with them. You will always speak with me. I'm the person that's going to either help you 
or hurt you. And I hope not to hurt you. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> we, we don't have to go looking for the culprit if something no. goes wrong. It's I'm you. The, it's me. I'm the face of it. And because I'm the face of it, I actually pick up probably more business than I need because people are comfortable. With, and what is it that you say? They need to know you, like you, trust you, and be comfortable with you. Is that right? People like to do business with people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. There you go. That's it. And I've always done that. And in all the years I've been doing business, particularly as a web developer, I may have three or four people working behind the scenes, but you're never going to know it because you will yep. always speak with me. Always. That's, that's just the yep. way I've always operated. Well, then you're the business. I am. You are anyway. You might as well acknowledge it and get good at it because you are the business. That's exactly right. So we've got about four more minutes. Now, this always goes so fast. But we've talked about sales. We've talked about, I'll guarantee it, Justin Wilson. If you all haven't heard him, go look at him. Go look for Justin Wilson. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. That is not a Cajun accent. I think he was from Mississippi. I'm not sure where he lived. <laughs> so right, right there. He's not Cajun. because <laughs> Cajuns are right here where I live. But We've talked about that. We've talked about the guarantee. We've talked about how you treat people. And I wanted to to mention these days, you're going to get caught on camera. So behave yourself. Yeah. Be kind. <laughs> do the best thing that you can do. And, you know, don't try to clobber somebody just because you're in a bad mood. You will get caught on camera. Promise. It's astounding. I, I look back. I we, I we didn't do anything really bad, but I had a... Uh, went to a beer drinking, skirt chasing uh, few years with my running buddy, Jimmy Rucker. We were talking the other day. He's the greatest salesman I ever personally worked with, by the way. Uh, but in high school, we were just running buddies and in college together and so on. Uh, just a wonderful guy. And I said to him the other day, Jimmy, do you know that we could not live the life we live today. He says, well, why not? And I said, look, if you're not, if you're out of your living room, you're on camera. You know, the Touch. phone at my house would have been ringing constantly, Mr. Gay, <laughs> your son, <laughs> mm -hmm. once again, <laughs> has done fill in the blank. Uh, I don't, and social media, you know, nowadays you got to really, you should have always been, but nowadays you got to really be careful because uh, with a click of a button, somebody can tell the whole world what a jackass you are. And they will. They, they and really they will. will. Yep, you bet they will. Ben, before I let you go, is there anything else you wanted to kind of toss in? And where can people find the closers? Nice question. Uh, they can find the closers, get out your pens and pencils, by going to – this is – I'm sending you a place that will give you lower pricing than I will. I still, they bring them to me to sign, and the shipping is free. Go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com, C-O-M forward slash Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books, B-O-O-K-S, all one word. Uh, if the order's in by two, it'll go out that day. 
and uh, you'll have it shortly. And it comes, as you may have guessed, with an unconditional lifetime money-back guarantee. But don't send it back. It would break our string of not getting to We had one of the few books I told you about we got back. An employee came to me and said, how do I handle a return? I said, how long have you worked here? He said, several years, but I've never handled a return. So how do I handle a return? It was a new concept to him. So, and then on top of that, I would encourage our listeners to do two things. One, if you would like some personal mentoring from a guy who was trained personally by Dr. Napoleon Hill, give me a buzz. My email is bfg3. That's B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the numeral three, uh, at directcon, D-I-R-E-C-T. C-O-N, short for direct connect, dot net. And uh, I'll send you some stuff and show you how I work with 30, 35 people at any given time, one-on-one in a mentoring thing. And then my other good advice is if you want to have uh, web work, for lack of a better word, and or learn how to have your own podcast and so on, <clears throat> my co-host, I say uh, kiddingly, I'm her co-host, <laughs> uh, is on the phone with you, Denise Griffiths. Reach and she'll tell you how. Reach out to Denise. She is the best. It's the only reason you're listening to me now is giving me an opportunity to work with her. Oh, thank you, Ben. I'm easy to spot. I mean, on, you've heard me say this a hundred times. You can't throw a stick on the internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. We are out there. So just and you can go to denisegriffiths.com. It's G-R-I-F-F as in Frank, I-T-T as in Tom, S as in Sam Griffiths. There's no H, there's no N. That's where you'll find me and Ben. And I wanted to mention, too, you know, Ben gave you his uh, email address. We're easy to find. We like to answer questions on this podcast. I mean, we get to rocking and rolling. We're having a good time. But we really are here to serve you. So send us your questions, whether it's about podcasting, whether it's about leadership, whether it's about sales, whether it's, you know, asking Ben questions about his time with Napoleon Hill. Those are fascinating stories, by the way. So just get in touch with us. We're easy to spot. I'm on LinkedIn. We both are. Facebook, you can't really, we are easy to find. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. And take us along on your success journey, Ben. Thank you. And I will see you next week. All right, dear. Have a wonderful day. Love you. Love you, too.